HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we're talking organization. Not mise en place or keeping your knives in a row, but labor organizing. If any restaurant worker is listening to this and is like, yes, I want something different, but I don't know where to start. First step they just need to do is to find one of us and get plugged in. As independent contractors, they can't directly tell people, you know, when or, or where to work, but by using sort of gamified nudges to push people, that is sort of how they um, move the workforce around. Tune in to Meet in 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, sakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Don May, who is the owner and director of Mayleaf, the awesome tea company in London. Don also has a wonderful YouTube channel called Mayleaf, which has 80,000 subscribers. I got to know him through his extremely educational and uniquely fun YouTube videos. And he knows a lot about both Japanese and Chinese tea, and his global scientific perspective of tea has helped me to appreciate Japanese tea even more. So I decided to invite him to Japan Eats, and Don is kindly joining us today. So today we'll discuss various aspects of Japanese tea in comparison with Chinese tea, along with Don's very intriguing path to become a tea specialist, and much, much more. But before you start, Japan Eats is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. 
Now let's start a conversation with Don May. Hello, Don. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, Akiko. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm you. You don't know how much I'm excited about <laughs> this show after watching so many videos by you. So, so first of all, your background is truly intriguing. So, could you tell us about your family background and how you it led you to the world of tea? Sure, no problem.、Uh, so, I come from a little bit of a diverse background. My mother is from Switzerland, and my father is from China. Um, and so my father、um, moved、uh, to the UK,、uh, met my mother in Europe,、um, and they started a business here, which、uh, was really all about bridging East and West with、uh, books and arts. So, cultural books and arts, sharing culture from, from the East and, and introducing it to the West in the 1970s in London. And then that sort of、uh, progressed into.、Uh, An interest in medicine, in integrative medicine, in taking、uh, concepts of、uh, Eastern medicine, for example, acupuncture, Chinese herbal medicine, etc., and introducing it to、uh, the West. And this was the 1970s in London, so very different from, from today. And、uh, they started the first Chinese medical clinic in the UK. And、uh, that's sort of my, my background, my upbringing. Has always been around、uh, being introduced to、uh, Chinese arts, books, and medicine. I've been having acupuncture since I was a, a little boy. And, uh, and uh, this concept of bridging East and West, which has always been paramount in my family.、Mm, right. And you personally also、uh, you have a very interesting background. You spent some time in New York City, where I, we are now. So tell us about that too. Yeah, I have, a, I have a, a lot of love for, for NYC. I, I, was, uh, uh, I, I had the privilege of studying at NYU there. I studied film and TV at NYU、uh, for a few years, and,、uh, and I still have family out in New York from my father's side. So, my uncle's out there. And, so, yeah, I, I have lots of fond memories of, of New York, and,、uh, and I, I, I'm always excited to, to return. Uh, and enjoy the, the delights, especially the culinary delights of that amazing city. And、uh, yeah, so I, I studied there, film and TV, and I came back to the UK after graduation and I got involved in the music industry for a while.、Uh, I was a sound engineer and, and uh, uh, worked uh, as a producer. Uh, uh, I had a, my own record label.、Um, but the family business was always,、uh, always bubbling around in the background, and I sort of got involved in the family business. And、uh, that's where I really sort of、uh, discovered my, my, my true passion in life, which is tea.、Mm, right. So, but when you grew up, did you taste a lot of tea? Actually, no. I mean, you know, it's one of the strange things about、uh, Chinese culture is that,、uh, you know, everybody in China assumes it's their birthright to know a lot about tea. But in fact, you know, there's. There is a lot of good tea being drunk in China, but there's also a lot of bad tea being drunk in China as well. And、uh, my father, you know, only knew as much as he knew. He, he, he would, we would have green tea and jasmine tea, but nothing particularly special. It was only once I really sort of decided to dive into learning and exploring tea that、uh, I really had that revelation where I suddenly realized that this was a whole other world that I had never experienced before. Mm, right. I have the exact same feeling about the tea. I just took it so for granted that I didn't appreciate anything when I grew up. So, 
Yeah, I think it's quite common if you're brought up in uh, in, a, in a culture where sort of tea is is the norm. Uh, you you just sort of take it for granted. But um, but as we'll find out, there are so many different grades of tea, and uh, I soon discovered that I had been drinking pretty pretty average stuff my whole life until until I started to discover tea properly. Mm, right. Okay. So, um, what is Mayleaf, and what is your mission at Mayleaf? Well, so my sort of venture into tea started just as a as a, a side project. Really, it was um, as I said, we have uh, as a, as a family business this Chinese medical clinic, and uh, we were serving teas. But I recognised that tea, the tea that we were serving, probably wasn't representative of the best tea out there. And we we saw tea as a really interesting opportunity for people to uh, start to dive into more of the intricacies of of Chinese medicine and Chinese culture because tea is the most popular drink in the world after water and is and is the was the first Chinese medicinal herb. So it seemed to make sense that that would be the way to to bridge people into discovering tea. So um, I started learning, and I soon realized that. Uh, whilst most of us drink tea, 99% of us, at least in the West, have very little knowledge about it. So the sort of aim of Mayleaf, uh, the mission at Mayleaf, was to really help people build a new relationship with tea, almost push the reset button altogether and start afresh with this incredible plant growing in these mountains, producing this amazing drink. So it's all about really trying to create a new relationship with tea. Uh, and we do that by uh, offering information, uh, as much education as possible. We have our YouTube channel um, and other platforms just trying to uh, spread as much information as possible. And, you know, um, uh, try to encourage people to join us on our tea journey because we're all learning. I'm learning. I've been involved in tea for 20 years, but I still consider myself a very much a tea student. And so uh, just sort of learning with us as we try to decipher all of the intricacies of this incredible drink and then to curate the best teas of the season. So every year I uh, taste teas. Uh, I'm currently in the, the midst of a crazy spring tea tasting. So I'm tasting something in the region of about 30 or 40 teas a day and wow. um, trying, to, <laughs> trying to narrow it down and curate the best teas that I'm, I'm collecting from the mountains. And uh, hopefully providing a, a trusted range of, of tea, which is always changing. The catalogue never stays the same because every year it changes. And that's one of the amazing things about tea and keeps me in a job is that uh, you have to celebrate impermanence when you, when you have a love affair of, with tea because it, it's always changing. And uh, yeah, so to, to educate, to make tea accessible and to provide a, a trusted range of pinnacle teas every year. That's mm. our mission. Right. So for our students, like, it's just like trying to understand how the nature works, that kind of thing. So there's nothing, <laughs> um, no, no end to finish. Oh, with. absolutely. There is no end. <laughs> That's one of the things I love about it. Mm, right. And you mentioned your YouTube channel. So one of the reasons I really love watching your YouTube videos is that you are clearly deeply excited about understanding and tasting each tea. So, and my favorite part always is that when you describe tea's aroma, flavors, taste, and subtle notes with profuse and accurate words. So uh, why is tea so special to you personally? Like, you know, it could have been wine or you could probably capture 
all those subtle tastes of wine, for example? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, so I've always had a, 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 a deep passion for cooking and for food and for tasting. Tasting for me is, is one of the absolute joys in life. Um, and uh, not just for the sensorial aspect of tasting, but also for all that it brings you in terms of contextualizing your life, in terms of memories, in terms of relationships, in terms of all of those beautiful things that, um, w- that sort of uh, tag on to the, the whole food and drink experience um, of living. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I've always loved taste. With, with tea, I think what's amazing about tea is that the subtlety of tea requires extra focus. And that's not to say, of course, that you know, tasting wines and tasting coffees and tasting whiskeys doesn't um, involve some subtlety. But a lot of the times with those kinds of foods and drinks, the, the taste comes to you rather than you have to go, into the, go to the taste. And, and what I mean by that is if you're not engaged, if your mind isn't engaged, if you're, uh, if you're not focused, then the tea experience um, quickly disappears. Like, you, you know, the tea experience requires your presence. It requires your attention. And finding the tasting notes in tea, I find is a very therapeutic um, and uh, exciting, sure, uh, enjoyable, of course, indulgent, yes. But it's the, it's the seeking aspect of it that I think is so remarkable. Um, and what makes the tasting of tea so special for me. Um, and tea sits mm. uh, you know, at, at the heart of so many interesting trends from uh, cultural understanding, uh, artisanship, uh, provenance, uh, history, health, function, uh, happiness, positivity, um, and all of these things, as well as taste. And so it's just a remarkable, remarkable uh, um, drink to, to, to get involved in because it, it seems to just be so incredibly indulgent and, and provide so much positivity and, uh, and doesn't have any downsides. And there aren't many things in life that uh, you can say that about. So um, yeah, uh, it's that plus the fact that it's a forever learning experience means that I know that even in 50 years time, um, I'll still be a student. And I, I, I really love that. Mm, right. I can tell uh, the way you describe uh, flavors and taste, it doesn't come from, you know, your spice counter. It's more like your life experience. So yeah, I really admire how you describe the flavors. It's about life, not just uh, on your tongue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, taste is, is uh, everyone's taste is different because it's, it's based on your memory. You know, the way that this, the science of taste works it relies on activating your memory sensors, uh, centers in order, to, uh, in order to try to pick out and deconstruct flavor. And, um, and so I think that um, taste is much more than simply the, uh, the ingredients, but it's, it's also about the experience. And, and sometimes that means that tasting notes become a little bit flowery, but that's okay as long as it's personal, I think. Mm, right. So there's no right answer. It's how much you enjoy it, I guess. Absolutely. Hey, so let's talk about tea itself. So you have tremendous knowledge of Chinese tea as well as Japanese tea. So what is the difference between Chinese and uh, Japanese tea in terms of how they are grown and processed? Um, 
Well, there's a lot of similarities, of course. Uh, it's, it's the same plant, albeit different cultivars. And uh, it, it, it's uh, tended and, and loved, hopefully, by, by good producers um, in a, with a similar level of passion. But there are some, some key differences. I think one of the, the differences is uh, what the end result, what the desired end result um, is that the producer is trying to attain. With Chinese tea, I think a lot of the end result is about um, revealing the, the subtleties and complexities of the plant itself and the terroir. Uh, with Japanese uh, teas, there is a lot of that, of course, but there is also a desire for something that is, is very potent, very therapeutic, uh, very uh, powerful, both in terms of ri uh, richness of flavor and effect. And, and so that uh, translates in all sorts of things from the cultivation. So with Japanese tea, there seems to be a little bit more um, man-made man influence in the cultivation. There's a little bit more involvement uh, by the farmer, uh, whether or not that be sort of tending to the soil, enriching the soil, or, or of course, famously with shading the tea plant in order to sort of manipulate the stress response of the plant in order to, to bring out certain flavors. That sort of... Uh, uh, manipulation doesn't happen so much in Chinese tea uh, and is, is much more of a, a facet of the, the Japanese sort of culture of tea. Um, the picking in, in China, especially for green teas, tends to be smaller. The picking in, in, in Japan tends to be a little bit larger. Again, focusing on robustness and developing uh, a richness of extraction from the, the inner leaf material. Uh, and uh, and in China, it's a little bit more focused on the subtleties and aromas of the of the smaller leaves. Uh, the, there's a difference in terms of the the production. One of the the striking differences between China and Japan is uh, China tends to be well. If we're talking about the very high end tea, because of course there are many many hundreds of grades of tea from commodity factory produced tea all the way to the very sort of rarefied atmosphere of, of extremely um, rare teas. Uh, so if you're talking about the, the, the top end of the market in China, it tends to be produced much more by sort of individual households. And they're all sort of doing their own thing. Uh, they, they sort of have their own unique methods. It's a little bit more secretive, I would say. Whereas in Japan, it tends to be that the approach tends to be much more about um, uh, a slightly more scientific approach, more standardized approach, uh, controlling every single factor along the way, tends to be more of a conveyor belt system. And I don't mean that uh, in a negative way. I just mean that they, they have sort of timed and computer controlled every single uh, process along the chain um, of processing in order to end up with a very um, high quality uh, sort of the average quality of China, of Japanese tea tends to be very high because it goes through lots of sort of controlled processes that um, are all sort of carefully monitored. And so you have a very different um, end result. Uh, in, in Japan, you get a very good uh, average quality. So it, it tends to be high quality and you, you get a, a more standardized product. Uh, in China, it's a bit more chaotic. In terms of the end results, you get sort of teas ranging from 
from all sorts of uh, flavors, um, even if it's from the same place. And, uh, and it's a little bit more crazy, but you can find some, some very characterful tea. One, mm. of the, uh, one of the key differences, of course, that people always talk about in terms of the production of green tea is that Japan steams their tea, um, whereas China tends to bake their tea. That's one of the sort of main sort of fundamental differences. But I think the cultural differences are, are, are more interesting in a way. Mm, right. <laughs> it's kind of reflected in actually uh, how each society works, right? In Japan, it's more consistent and, uh, you know, kind of like a predictable quality so that there's no bad surprise, but um, at the expense of some nice surprise. That could be the other way, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's what I think is so fascinating. One of the great things about exploring tea uh, at source is that you understand how the culture filters into the production methods. And you're absolutely right. You've got very consistent quality, um, very um, consistent uh, levels of, of flavor. Um, you know what you're going to get with Japanese tea, and it tends to be uh, generally high quality. In China, it's much more random, but you do get these incredibly sort of uh, interesting, uh, phenomenal teas that, that only comes about through mad experimentation. Mm, right. And also um, the actual processing, you said, you know, Japanese tea, um, dokucha, like green tea, is steamed instead of pan roasted. So what's the result of steaming versus roasting? What kind of... Uh... In many, yeah, in many ways you could say it's similar to cooking, right? If you steam some spinach, it's going to have... Uh, a more neutral response to the, you're going to taste the, the spinach uh, a little bit less affected um, compared with if you uh, toasted the, the leaves over a sort of very hot woks, uh, which will impart a little bit more of a nutty note. It'll be warmer. It will, uh, it will stimulate a little bit more caramelization and those kind of toasted notes, which are um, strictly speaking, not part of the, the natural flavor profile of the leaf, but uh, is, is an additional side to it. So uh, Japanese steamed tea tends to be a little bit more bracing. It tends to be a little bit more uh, fresh, you could say. But um, also because it's steamed, the steaming process uh, breaks down the leaves a little bit more. And so you have a, um, a softer leaf material, which means that it extracts more readily. So you're getting a different balance from the extraction, uh, the water penetrates the leaves much more quickly than they do with uh, Chinese teas. Chinese teas, because they're pan-baked mostly or sometimes air-baked, the uh, outer membrane of the leaf tends to be a little bit more intact. And so it, it brews a little bit more uh, slowly. And so you get lighter brews, you get warmer brews, you get nuttier brews um, and slightly, I would say, sweeter brews potentially. Um, mm -hmm. But these are all, you know, quite large generalizations, of course. But yeah, I mean, it, that, that's, those are the main differences. Right. Interesting. Right. And also, if you steam, the colors of the leaves tend to be intact, too. So uh, that's another reason. But um, yeah, it's interesting how things are trade off, like in different simple process of roasting and steaming. Um, okay, and uh, by, oh, by the way, listeners, I, I watched a video, Don's video, titled Japanese versus Chinese Green Tea and uh, Differences. That's on the YouTube of uh, Maylife channel. So I highly recommend 
you to watch it because you understand the whole difference、um, in one shot. So, anyway, so,、uh, so there are different categories of Japanese tea. So,、uh, let's just talk about quickly of only Japanese tea here. So, for listeners who are not familiar with Japanese tea,、uh, could you tell us、uh, the major categories of Japanese tea? Sure.、Uh, so, the majority of tea produced in Japan is green tea, as you know. And、uh, green tea, the, the, the majority of green tea being produced is, is sencha.、Uh, sencha is green tea made from the spring flushes, so the first sort of three pickings of the year, three or four pickings of the year. And uh, it's uh, picked and processed, steamed at different levels of steaming from. Short steaming to longer steaming,、um, and then rolled. And that produces your archetypal Japanese sencha tea. If you、um, do the same process, but you shade the tea、uh, bushes for about you know, a few days to a week before harvesting,、uh, usually with sort of black、um, covers that they actually just cover over the bushes, then you get、uh, kabusecha, which is a Sort of slightly shaded sencha, in essence.、Um, if you want to go longer than that and you want to shade for sort of 20 days up to a month, then、uh, that produces gyokuro.、Uh, gyokuro、uh, is so when you, when you shade a tea bush, what happens is that the plant undergoes、um, some stress and、uh, don't let that.、Um, Make you feel squeamish. Most of the tea, most of the flavor development in tea comes from stress,、uh, believe it or not,、uh, either stress from nature or stress from man. So that's, that's common because the, the, the flavor profiles in tea, all of the terpenes and the, 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 the aroma com,、uh, molecules and the flavors tend to come from what's called、uh, secondary metabolites. In other words, the plant is reacting to its environment.、Um, and so when you shade a plant,、uh, it's obviously. Freaking out a little bit because it's not getting any sunlight or less sunlight. And so,、uh, what it does is it protects、uh, certain compounds, one of which is called theanine. And theanine is one of the wonderful、uh, amino acids in tea, which, which is, you can only really get by drinking tea、um, and has incredible、uh, benefits, which we can talk about later, but also contributes to a very brothy, very rich umami flavor.、Uh, it's, it's similar in a way to glutamate. And、uh, so the theanine is, is, is maintained because normally, when the plant uh, uh, is uh, growing and, and gets a lot of sunlight, the theanine gets broken down into catechins, and catechins, the antioxidants in tea, act sort of like a, su- a sunscreen、uh, to protect from, from UV damage. So by shading the plant, you are No longer requiring the plant to create those, that UV、uh, protection. And so the theanine levels are, are boosted and the chlorophyll levels are boosted、uh, to try to maximize any light that is there. So you, you're fundamentally changing the, the chemical composition of the, end, of, of the,、uh, the final、uh, tea in your cup.、Mm. Uh, so Gyokuro has a very savory umami note.、Uh, Sencha is a little bit、uh, brighter, even though all Japanese tea. Um, needs to have some umami,、um, and then kabusech is sort of in between.、Uh, then you've got、uh, tencha, which is very similar to yokuro, but is、uh, larger leaves. And these are the leaves that are used to make matcha. 
So uh, the tincture is then processed um, and uh, prepared for grinding um, in order to make uh, matcha tea. Um, and that's by grinding the tincture uh, usually with stone mills. Those are the main types of green tea uh, in, in Japan. You've also got uh, the byproducts of those uh, teas like kukicha. Kukicha is, a, is just the stems um, and is a nice sort of low caffeine uh, alternative if you want to taste Japanese green tea, but you, you really are caffeine sensitive. And those are just the stems which come off. And one of the, one of the advantages of this conveyor belt system is they've got a very clever way of, of, of catching all of these stems and so they, that's another type of, of tea that you can purchase on the market. Um, if you are purchasing uh, green teas that are from later flushes, like summer and autumn, or larger leaves from the spring flushes, then that is generally called bancha, um, which is generally considered to be cheaper tea, lower quality tea, but can have, um, you can get um, some tasty brews out of that. Uh, and then you've got teas that are processed um, afterwards. So famously, hojicha is a, is a roasted tea, um, usually roasted bancha. Uh, you've got uh, kamairi cha, which is a pan fried tea similar to uh, Chinese tea. You've got genmai cha, which is uh, blended with, with toasted rice. Um, but those are sort of, um, yeah, I, I would call them more in the processed side of, of, the, of the green tea spectrum. In Japan, mm. and then in Japan, so, you've also got black tea and oolong tea and and some fermented tea, but they represent um, a much smaller proportion. Right, yeah. So if you go to like you know um, anywhere in Japan, you can go. There's a little tea shop, and you can just go go in, and you can have a whole bunch of this. The whole spectrum of the the types of tea that you just explained. So it's a it's a lot, but it's always available, easily, you know approachable you can just grab a bag it's not too expensive i mean gyokuro tend to be a little higher in price but it's always available and uh, it's easy to make so and also uh, it's interesting that you, you mentioned if you cover the tea leaves and uh, the umami goes up so whenever i taste you know matcha or gyokuro it's so savory just mm, because of the process yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, and and that savory hit, that umami hit, is one of the quality markers of Japanese tea. I mean, all green tea in general, even uh, Chinese teas, you're always looking for that umami. It's it's sort of like the uh, the salt on the salted caramel. You know, it it it, it seasons it seasons all the flavors. Um, it, it it enhances flavor. It provides um, more sweetness. Ironically. Uh, because um, your 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 mouth is filled with this incredible um, savory to sweet uh, sensation. So by seasoning uh, the tea with umami, you're you're bringing out all of the the flavors, including the sweetness. Um, but certainly in Japan, that umami uh, note is is very much sought after. Um, and one of the things I think with matcha that a lot of people when they first get into matcha, if they if they taste matcha, which is not such great quality, they're not going to get that balance, which 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 comes from shade growing properly, where you get a nice, rich, umami, savory. Now, a lot of people think of matcha as this sort of very bright green, um, bracing drink, when in fact uh, it should also have a lot of warmth and a lot of uh, savory umami. Um, uh, 
mouthfeel, brothiness, and taste. And uh, yeah, so it's it's important that you have well shaded leaves. Mm, yeah, it's not like a you know matcha latte kind of matcha. And uh, when I taste a good matcha, I have this you know the umami. At the same time, there's a、uh, some bitterness, and also、mm-hmm. the bitterness stimulates the sweetness. In、yeah. my mouth, so that's、yeah. like a triangle, and that's the beauty of matcha. Yeah, and it's one of the beauties of tea in general is this is this、um, desire for transformation. In China, they call it hui gan. Hui gan means、uh, hui means returning to source,、uh, and gan means sweetness. But it's it's a little bit more poetic than simple sugar sweetness. It's also like the sweetness of So you can use that term to to call to to describe, for example, rain after a drought, like sweet rain. You know, it has it has a little bit more of a sentimental, emotional feel to it. And hui gan basically sort of represents that idea that you were talking about. That it starts with bitterness, then turns to sweetness. It's returning back to source with sweetness.、Um, and so,、uh, one of the things that as you As you as you develop a taste for tea, you you develop a taste for bitterness. You develop a taste for that transformation.、Uh, any tea which doesn't have that and doesn't have that transformation from bitter to sweet、um, is in 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 my mind, and I think in a lot of、uh, tea lovers' mind,、uh, an empty tea.、Um, and so、mm. you, you, you're looking for that、uh, that transformation. You're looking for that journey. You're looking for some level of of a Movement、um, in the experience.、Mm, interesting. So,、um, like this, the experience of tasting and how you develop the will, kind of like,、uh, like when I have,、uh, you know, sip of tea, I started to, you know, to shut my mouth and then put the air through my nose, and then the whole experience. Is multiplied and does that smell like I said they call it retronasal nasal smell、mm-hmm. instead of、uh, the smell coming through your nose? That is a powerful tasting experience. So yeah, I、Absolutely. think this right. So okay, yeah,、um, absolutely. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, I I think it's one of the things that a lot of people.、Uh, Needs to develop when they are drinking tea is figuring out how to、uh, smell the tea because smelling a tea with the、uh, the dry leaf is not、uh, it doesn't、uh, the dry leaf of tea especially if it's cold doesn't give off that much aroma and one of the problems is that、uh, if you are going to the shop and you're sniffing lots of tea you're not going to really suss out the quality tea by doing that and this is one of the problems that we have in the in the so called Specialty tea market is then the, the temptation then is to scent your tea or to stock lots of sort of jasmines and and and、uh, florally scented teas in order to sell the product. But you're absolutely right.、Uh, retronasal is one of the the best ways is is drinking the tea and then breathing out through the nose. You really get a whole a whole、uh, hit of uh, terpenes uh, that way.、Mm, right, and another、um, tips I stole from your videos is that. You smell the tea when it's dry, and I smell again when it's wet, and I smell tea itself, and I smell the cup that's already empty, and it's like so many different spectrum of different experience, and I I feel like I got like five different teas. It's very <laughs> enriching experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the process of drinking should in itself be a journey. From from you're witnessing the 
I hope it's not too flowery to say, but you're witnessing the sort of re-emergence or resurrection of this leaf from from this dry, dormant state. And um, and you're witnessing it as it brews and as it unfolds and as it extracts and then eventually as it it no longer has anything to give. And it's a uh, yeah, uh, it's important that you sort of uh, take a sort of time lapse approach and and make sure you you grab every opportunity to get the sensorial uh, information along that journey. Mm, right. Yeah, it's healing too. <laughs> really relaxed yeah. throughout that smelling experience. Um, and you, you know, we discussed the the umami forward um, Japanese tea, but what is the the difference between Japanese and Chinese tea in general in terms of uh, flavor characteristics? Yeah, so we've touched upon it already. One of the the key areas is the the umami, is the 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 richness of the savory note. As I said. Chinese green teas do do t- tend to be slightly less in the umami, even though umami is something that is very desirable in Chinese teas. I think that with Japanese teas, the aim seems to be to produce a very verdant, very rich, very brothy tea. And in order for you to do that, you need to extract more of the inner leaf material. So just to sort of explain it a little bit, when uh, you have this uh, tea plant and it's go- gone through this processing, you have w- aroma compounds which tend to sit on the surface of the leaf and come from sort of the juices of the leaf that have uh, settled during the, during the processing and stay on the, the outside of the leaf. And then you've got the actual uh, inner leaf uh, compounds which need time in order for the water to, to uh, extract them. And with Japanese teas, due to the steaming process, due to the extensive rolling that the Japanese teas go through, you're getting, during the extraction process, you're getting more of that inner leaf material. And so you're getting a a brothier, more vegetal, more rich, more, uh, yeah, more potent, I would say, uh, tea from infusion number one. And you will have less infusions that you can drink of it. Whereas with Chinese teas, it's a little bit more subtle, and uh, you'll have more. In, you'll, you can get more infusions out of it, and each infusion will be lighter and a little bit more delicate and elegant. Um, and mm. so, you, you, that that's sort of the fundamental, I would say, difference between the the experience. Mm. Okay. All right, so let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll discuss uh, health benefits of drinking tea. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. 
Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat, and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, It's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is Don Mei, who is the owner and the director of May Leaf, a fascinating tea company in London. Don also has a wonderful tea-themed YouTube channel called May Leaf, which has 80,000 subscribers. So um, in one of your YouTube, video, YouTube videos, um, you featured a fukamushi in the Makinohara region in Shizuoka prefecture, and I found the explanation very interesting. So... Maybe you could uh, tell us what fukamushi is and why it's made in specifically Makinohara. Yeah, uh, the fukamushi style uh, essentially means that the steaming process, uh, which is the process that all, so all tea needs to, all green tea needs to go through a process of heating. Uh, what that does is that deactivates the enzymes in the leaf, which, uh, which catalyze oxidation. So the leaf can't then turn dark afterwards. And all Japanese green, or most Japanese green tea is steamed. And the length of time that you steam the, the leaf uh, is going to have an effect, obviously, on the end result. Fukumushi is a deep steamed method. So they're steaming the leaf for, I don't know, a, about a minute. Um, and so uh, that, what that does is it tends to soften the, uh, the astringent and bitter notes of the tea. Uh, Makinohara is a is a very famous tea growing area of Shizuoka, and it is um, it is on a plateau, which means that it's getting more sun than if it's uh, if the leaf is grown on the side of a mountain. Um, and so, because it's getting more sun, and as I said to you before, the the tea plant uses uh, catechins, which are antioxidants, but have a have a, a bracing, astringent, and bitter quality to them. Um, the plant uses those antioxidants to protect itself from UV uh, damage. And so if you are uh, a plant growing in Makinohara Plateau, you are getting a lot of sun and therefore you need to produce a fair amount of these catechins in order to protect yourself. And so uh, the resulting tea 
if it was produced in the standard Asamushi style, so the shorter steaming method, would produce a tea which is more bracing, uh, more bitter, more astringent. And that's not to say that some people wouldn't prefer it, but but generally uh, people, are, I think, are looking for a slightly softer uh, experience. And so the Fukumushi style was developed to round out the extra uh, bitterness and astringency that comes from plants growing with lots of sun. Mm, right. So really reflects uh, how tea is uh, terroir based, how regionally it's uh, made and it's very personal. And yeah, the, like you said, uh, fukamushi means deeply steamed tea and asamushi is shallowy steamed tea. So asai is shallow so or like short term. And asamushi, I think, is a majority of uh, Japanese tea production. But I think lately, fukamushi is becoming like a boom. So it's kind of uh, hard to get because this uh, region made it very famous. It's, yeah. Fukumushi's Fukumushi is definitely growing in popularity. It, it comes with, with some downsides, which is that as you steam a leaf, it breaks down more. So it tends to be a little bit more broken or a lot more broken. So it requires a little bit more care in the brewing process, but it's a very, very vibrant color. I think one of the things that people love about it is Fukumushi tea has an extremely almost sort of a radioactive brightness to its, its color. And, uh, and it, it certainly is a very striking uh, appearance. Mm, right. So by the way, um, so now we talked about the how it's steamed when during the production, but you know, there are so many ways to make tea at home. So Japanese is always associated with a specific serving vessels, vessel called kyusu. And uh, for Chinese tea, when you taste high quality tea, use, I use what it's called gaiwan. So what is the difference between kyusu and gaiwan? And uh, what's the advantage? What advantage does each have to, in tasting and making good tea? Oh, that's a it's a big question. This is a this is going into proper geekery. I love it. Okay, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a it's it's a pleasure to to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, the guy one is is a very very uh, simple piece of equipment. It's a bowl with a lid, but it's it's uh, I always call it the the lightsaber for for the Gong Fu Jedi's because it's it's like your ne necessary teaware for a Chinese uh, tea. Um, it's, it, in essence, you know, uh, brewing tea from, from, if you're looking at it from the surface is a very simple thing. You're, you're mixing leaf with water in a container, but within that simplicity, there's so much complexity. So the shape of the guy one, uh, the, uh, capacity of the guy one, the, uh, size of the opening, uh, it's very suited to aroma, uh, rich teas. Uh, like we were talking about um, with Chinese teas that are, are focused a little bit more on the balance of aroma compared with the extraction of the inner leaf material. Kyusus um, uh, are, are incredible because of the fact that they, uh, have, they leave a lot of space for the extraction of the, of the, of the tea, more than a Gaiwan does. And again, if you're looking to, to really... Uh, penetrate into those leaves and extract the inner leaf material, that's a good thing. They're also uh, made out of uh, clay usually, tokoname clay or, or something similar, which has uh, an effect of softening 
and rounding out uh, the tea, the quality of the tea and the taste of the tea, the texture of the tea. They also have very specific filters which um, are suited to Japanese teas, whereas a Gaiwan, there is no filter. You're pouring uh, directly from the bowl using the lid as a, as a sort of stopper. And uh, that's fine for very whole leaf teas, which is often the case with Chinese teas. But with Japanese teas, because it goes through the steaming process and the rolling process, it is more broken up. And therefore, you're going to get much more of a cloudy brew if you're brewing with a Gaiwan. So, I mean, clearly, there's, each, each vessel is perfectly suited to the tea that it's, it's meant to be brewing. Mm, right. I mean, every single Japanese family household has Kyusu, I think. It's a little pot. And if you just go to any shop, even supermarket, they have like cheap, cute、uh, Kyusu, or you can go high up. But I actually got a Gaiwan, so I'm going to try Gaiwan with Japanese tea at some point. So I don't know. I will let you know how it's going to work out. Yeah, no, feel free to experiment. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, so, maybe could you pick a Japanese tea and tell us how to make a perfect cup of tea? Sure.、Uh, so, well, let's, let's do Sencha because Sencha is the, the, the most universal and, and probably the, the one that your listeners are, are most likely to be able to pick up. Obviously, the, the quality of the, the resulting tea in, in, the, in your cup is firstly dependent on the quality of the leaves. And the quality of the water. So, I'm going to take it as read that you've got the best possible quality censure and、uh, good water、uh, in front of you before we get started. Because, you know, the, the saying goes that、uh, you, can, uh, you, can't make good tea, you can't make good tea out of bad leaves, but you can make、uh, bad tea out of good leaves. So, you know, even if you've started with good leaves, you can make awful tea if you don't do it properly. So, first and foremost, warm up your tea where it's important that you.、Um, That the temperatures that you are brewing at stay relatively consistent, and therefore it's good to pre warm your teaware just by pouring hot water into your kyusu and your cup and then letting it sit there and then pouring it away before you're starting to brew. I recommend,、uh, sorry, I'm going to be metric here or British metric here, but I recommend about、uh, four, four and a half grams for every hundred milliliters of water.、Um, Temperature wise, it depends on the leaf a little bit, but on average, between 70 to 75 degrees Celsius, that's I think around 160 to 170 Fahrenheit,、uh, is, a, is a good starting temperature.、Uh, the temperature of the water is important because hotter water extracts quicker. And as we said, with、uh, these kinds of very rich teas that have been、uh, rolled, You want to control that. If you brew too hot, you're going to extract too quickly and you've got very little control over the, the balance in your cup. So, cooler water is always a good uh, uh, way to go. So,、uh, 70 to 75, 160 to 170 Fahrenheit. And、uh, brewing,、uh, actually, with Sencha, it's a really interesting. Sencha is、uh, one of those teas, and Japanese teas in general are a little bit different to, ch- to Chinese teas. Chinese teas, you tend to Starts with a certain time and then with every infusion extend that time by five ten seconds or ten seconds. Whereas with, with、uh, Japanese teas, you tend to start longer and then go shorter.、Uh, and the reason for that, again, is because of the fact that it's a very rolled tea. And therefore, the first infusion is going to take a little bit of time in order to extract. But once the water has started to、um, Enter those leaves, it extracts very quickly. So, first infusion, I recommend 
between about 75 to, to a minute and a half, 75 seconds to a minute and a half, uh, depending on how strong you like your tea. Uh, pour that off, drink and enjoy smelling the leaves and tasting the tea. And then uh, for the second infusion, you're going to do something shorter, same temperature water. So again, 160 to 170 Fahrenheit, but now we're brewing for about 20 to 30 seconds. Uh, for the third infusion, you can then extend it to be about a minute, uh, again, with the same temperature water. And if you wanted to have a, a, a fourth infusion, which some good quality teas can give you, then I would normally boost the temperature up to near a boiling point, like 195, 200 degrees Fahrenheit, like 90 to 95 degrees Celsius for about a minute. And so that way you'll get four really, three really great brothy infusions and one fourth kicker at the end, if you want a little bit of a caffeine hit um, mm. for your for your fourth infusion, and you should be you should be very happily in tea bliss after that. Right. Yeah, I used to just read all those instructions. I was like, eh, and I just did well, whatever. And then I once tried, just like you said, following the temperature and the time to steep, it really makes a huge difference, and you can enjoy it until the very end of what the leaves can give. So. Yeah, well, thank you for the advice. Um, and also, um, so in Japan, the leaf tea consumption has been declining. So I got the data. So in 2001, it was 1,174 grams per household. And uh, in 2015, it was 14 years later, it was 844 grams per household. And the data a bit old, so I would imagine the number is even smaller now. So the reason behind the decline is that Japanese people are now drinking more handy bottled tea as well as the carbonated products like and mineral water. So why should we drink leaf tea as opposed to conveniently packaged bottled tea? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a trend which is worrying um, in Japan, and, and I hope that it, it, it changes. And I think one of the fundamental uh, ways that it will change is by uh, these kinds of conversations because uh, people need to understand that bottled tea, the taste difference, it's it's a world of difference. So so the the first reason why you should uh, drink uh, loose leaf tea versus bottled tea is simply the enjoyment of it. The taste of it is just a world of difference. Uh, bottled tea is uh, is is generally uh, using cheaper quality tea. Um, it's being brewed for uh, extensive periods in order to make a very strong tea concentrate, which is then diluted. There's nothing uh, to compare that with uh, the, the taste of, of properly brewed loose leaf tea. Uh, the taste and also the effect, the effect in terms of its mood enhancing effect, which we can talk about a little bit later maybe, but, but just the, the enjoyment and the taste and really understanding the, the, the intricacies of the flavor of tea requires leaf. You, you can't have that with, with bottled tea. I think one of the other um, things, and it certainly is true when I visited Japan, I hear this a lot from producers that are struggling, is that with the downturn in people purchasing and, and drinking loose leaf tea, they are forced to change their practices. So by drinking bottled tea, you are sort of um, 
you are exacerbating the decline in, in good, skillful practice in processing of, of tea. Uh, and so there's a sustainability issue here as well. Uh, you know, you're sort of um, encouraging or forcing producers to cut corners and produce cheaper commodity tea because the bottled tea companies are um, requiring them to sell their tea at a lot cheaper prices because they don't really care about, you know, meeting anywhere near the level of quality that uh, these producers may be producing for their premium teas. So, you know, you're, you're encouraging uh, a reduction in the quality, uh, a loss of these, these skills, which are, which are, you know, part of the cultural heritage of, of Japan. And it would be very sad if they, if they were lost. Um, and you're putting uh, business, putting uh, farmers out of business because, uh, and and uh, unfortunately, I see this quite regularly. Uh, farmers, um, the 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 younger generations, don't want to take over the the production. It's not profitable enough, um, and the 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 uh, fields and plantations are um, becoming abandoned, which is super sad. Really, really unfortunate. Um, and needs to change, and 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 it and I think it will change as long as we can inspire uh, the younger generations to understand this that that tea is is not something old fashioned, but is something which is delicious, indulgent, and incredibly relevant to uh, to modern day living. And uh, mm. the, the 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 supposed convenience of bottled tea. Uh, actually does a disservice to the uh, that does disservice to your life uh, because you know the brewing of tea is is part of the is part of the wonders of of tea and and what brings the positive positivity of tea into your life right and in addition there are so many pet bottles which is bad to the whole yeah. globe <laughs> right yeah. yeah and then i I tend to think that you know I'm just too busy to make tea, leaf tea. Mm. But that's the opposite. Just because you're too busy, you have to have a moment to make a couple of nice leaf teas. So tea Precisely. made out of leaf tea. <laughs> if you're too busy to make tea, then that's exactly why you need to make tea. Right. It's like a meditation. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And uh, so you have a very strong background of Eastern medicine. So. From that perspective, what is the health benefit of drinking tea? Ooh, uh, another big, big, big question. Uh, so tea, tea has been a, used as a restorative herb in Chinese culture for, for thousands of years. Uh, and just like a lot of Chinese herbs, uh, research has recently proven that the benefits uh, are real, although Oftentimes, the mechanism behind the benefits are not fully agreed upon. So what I mean by that is there are plenty of studies out there which demonstrate that tea, the regular consumption of tea, is an incredibly healthy habit for all sorts of uh, uh, reasons from uh, studies in cardiovascular health, uh, bone density, cognition, skin care, all sorts of things. There are, there are thousands and thousands of clinical studies, and yet the sort of mechanism behind it is not fully understood or agreed upon. And so it's very difficult to understand or to be able to give definitives about exactly why 
tea is great for you. Uh, people talk about the antioxidant theory, and, and that's certainly something that's, which holds some credence. Um, but also there's, there's plenty of other theories, which I'm not going to get involved in the science of it now, but there are plenty of other uh, theories around that. When it comes to Chinese medicine, one of the things about Chinese medicine is it's an empirical medicine. It's, 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 it's come from uh, many thousands of years of, of, of trial and error, of testing. And so again, the mechanisms behind it are much more related to a sort of pattern approach to healthcare, looking at sort of the character of tea and, uh, and how that affects uh, people sort of uh, from a from a holistic um, pattern based point of view, whereas the Western scientific approach is to dive down into the the the, the sort of magnif go go through the magnifying glass and look at the at the components of things. Neither method is is completely right. Both of them need to be sort of taken together, I think. But um, certainly, there's plenty of of clinical studies that show. For example, a couple of uh, cups of tea a, a day. Um, the, the large metadata, med, metadata studies show reduce your chance of having a stroke by something like twenty to twenty-five percent. Um, uh, you know, improves cardiovascular health, um, improve your ability to uh, maintain good cognition. Um, tea has been shown that the, the theanine in tea has been shown to uh, stimulate alpha brainwave activity. Which, in essence, is the meditative state—a uh, state of uh, calm, alertness. Uh, which is why you know tea has got such a, a rich history uh, in uh, Buddhism and in uh, practices of meditation. Uh, tea also, the theanine in tea also boosts your dopamine levels um, and um, can regulate your GABA, uh, a neurotransmitter. So, bring about a state of happiness and calm, which is why tea has been used. You know, for, for for generations upon generations, as as your sort of go-to drink when things are stressful, let's put on the kettle, let's have some tea, let's talk about this. Um, so uh, the mood-enhancing aspect of tea, I think, is something that 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 needs to be also uh, discussed when we talk about the health benefits of tea, because good emotional health uh, is is the gateway to good physical health. You know, if you're if you're feeling positive and feeling happy. And you are feeling that you are able to operate at peak performance um, in a calm but energized way, uh, which means you're not going to make so many errors because you're not letting stress affect you in terms of your, your work or whatever you are doing. All of these things filter into general stress levels, um, and all of these things filter into long-term health. So um, that's important to, to also um, um, talk about when you're talking about health benefits and also just the aspect of of uh the emotional health of, of as we said before taking time to brew tea uh, making space in your day um be that by yourself which is wonderful but also tea is has a, a incredible ability to to build stronger relationships one of the most satisfying parts of of what i do is receiving messages from from tea lovers around the world who who say that the, the drinking of tea and the taking of time to, to brew tea with their friends and family ha, has has brought incredible uh, positive uh, aspects to relationships, be that you know parents, siblings, uh, partners, whatever. So stronger relationships uh, makes for healthier people, 
uh, in general. So there's there's plenty beyond the sort of chemical compounds in tea to consider when we talk about the health benefits of tea. Mm, right, 100% I agree. And uh, well, the tea has a lot of flavors uh, that would complement food. So do you have any suggestions for food pairings? Sure, I think tea, you're right, tea has many different flavors. One of the, the uh, difficulties with tea is its subtlety. And so you have to be very uh, careful and conscious when you're doing pairing because it can be easy for the foods to overpower the, the tea. Um, you're sort of looking at in, when you're doing pairing for a few things. Um, in, uh, I would say that the minimum you're looking for is either a contrast or a complement. So uh, a contrast may be something like the classic British approach of having a cake with, um, with a very bright, brisk, um, and astringent uh, Assam black tea, for example. So just to sort of, uh, a, a, as, a, as a way to uh, break the, uh, or to, to, to have a contrast in the mouth. So you have something very rich and buttery, and then you have this, this very sort of bracing, uh, bright, um, astringent black tea. So you've got that contrast and that provides um, a, an enjoyable experience. Next up, I would say in desirability is complementary. So looking at flavors that complement each other, uh, what would be an example of that? Maybe with Japanese tea, something like um, hojicha, which is a roasted tea. So it has natural sort of caramel and nutty notes and maybe pairing that with uh, candied pecans, for example, uh, like mm. pralines. Like that, those two would work very well because they're very complementary flavors. You're getting the the Maillard reaction in both of them, you're getting caramelization, you're getting roastiness, you're getting nuttiness. So they're very complementary. The, mm. the most uh, sought after pairings are ones that um, do a bit of both. So you have contrast, you have complementary, and that uh, brings about a third flavor. So a, a flavor that you can't generate just by eating the food or drinking the tea, but requires both of them together in order for you to achieve that. Uh, third flavor. Um, again, with Japanese tea, so for example, a classic one is matcha and chocolate, right? So the, the, the bitter notes of the matcha and the chocolate pair very well. You're getting that complementary note. You're also getting the sort of warmth and, and, uh, and creaminess of matcha with the creaminess of chocolate. But then you're getting the bright note of the matcha. You're getting the the uh, the verdant nature of the matcha. You're also getting that umami savory note, which is then seasoning the chocolate, and you're getting this overall uh, uh, whole, which is bigger than its parts. Uh, I also really enjoy drinking um, sencha with uh, goat's cheese. I think that that works very well for the same reason. So you're wow. getting you're getting the the uh, brightness and, and meadowiness of, of, of goat's cheese works well with the, the, um, the green and, uh, and uh, fresh notes of the censure. But then also you're getting the, uh, the contrast that comes from the creaminess of the cheese that sort of uh, works very well with that, the temperature of the censure and the, the, the sort of uh, the cleansing quality of the sensor sort of cuts it. So getting a combination of contrasts and, and complements, I think, is the ultimate um, and uh, requires a little bit of experimentation, but it's certainly an enjoyable activity. 
Mm, interesting. Right. Yeah, actually, you know that you said one plus one and create the third one. That's like the moment、yeah. of the beauty of pairings. And、uh, I have a friend. He loved drinking alcohol and he pairs everything, any kind of food with alcohol. But he said, I only drink green tea when I go to sushi restaurant because sushi is umami, goes well with the tea is umami. So that's like the total compliment. And、uh, yeah. even he said that. So <laughs> there's a magic <laughs> about tea.、Um, okay. So personally, when, you, when do you drink Japanese tea and when do you drink Chinese tea? Do you have any? Kind of、so, Japanese tea, as we've said before, is more potent.、Uh, it's richer in caffeine, it's richer in theanine. So, it, overall, it has more of a, of a, of a physical effect、um, than Chinese tea, which all tea has a physical effect on you, but、uh, Japanese tea is certainly more potent. I tend to drink Japanese tea either in mid morning or mid afternoon. I don't really drink it first thing in the morning. It's a bit too strong for my,、um, for my sensibilities first thing in the morning. So I tend to go for a Chinese、uh, green tea usually in the morning.、Um, and then when I feel like I want that, that hit, that boost,、uh, that, that mood enhancing,、uh, you know, alpha brainwave activity energy, then、uh, that's when I'll reach for either a matcha or, or, or a Japanese green tea. Good to know. <laughs> okay. So,、um, yeah, so finally, I, I have endless questions, but I think we have to wrap up. So, where can we find your updates online and social media?、Uh, so, we've got our website, mayleaf.com, and we've got our YouTube channel. You just search for Mayleaf, M E I Leaf.、Uh, you can find us on, on YouTube and you can、uh, watch our, our, our、uh, educational stroke. Hopefully, slightly entertaining videos.、Um, and、uh, we've also got、um, uh, our Instagram、uh, feed as well and Facebook. But、um, Instagram and YouTube are the main places that we, we really sort of are active. I also should say that we've,、um, we've created a little coupon code for, for, for listeners、um, until the end of July. So if you go to mayleaf.com, you can type in Japan Eats at the coupon、uh, at, the, at the checkout and you get 20% off、uh, discountable products. So A little, uh, a little uh, bonus for, for your listeners. Thank you so much. And I'll be joining our listeners. <laughs>、um, <laughs> okay, so thank you so much for joining us today, Don. And、uh, I know it's getting late in London, so I really appreciate your time too. It was an absolute pleasure, Akiko. Right, thank you so much. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikotema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Aman Wang, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japan Eats is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter 
at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.